Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation a Star Trek podcast by a couple of dinguses who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ben. I would like to introduce, because one of our kind viewers, Matt B., sent us the show Bible a few episodes ago. Uh, I would like to introduce a little segment that we can do from time to time called Bible Study. Good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Oh, <laughs> uh, this is this is really going to please uh, the many in our viewership that that are like studying theology. It turns out, like <laughs> we're receiving more and more. Uh, emails and tweets from people who are like hardcore into religion, which yeah. is uh, is surprising and interesting to me because we're such a filthy pod. <laughs> yeah, I would uh, I would have assumed that most religions would have condemned what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the page that I randomly opened uh, the show Bible to is a kind of a. A view of a wide view of the bridge from from uh, one of the front corners, and it's it's just uh, it shows you know what stuff is in the bridge, you know what it's used for, all that stuff. It's and it's I guess for you know somebody who's going to write a script for this television series to refer to when they decide where to set some some action. Right. Um, the thing that jumped right out at me, Adam, is. There is, I'm looking at the little vestibule where the captain's ready room and the turbo lift is. Just to the left of that in the show Bible is coffee slash food dispenser. Really? (laughs) Have we ever ever seen this in action? I think we've been all around that little pocket, but I I mean, like, the thing that's amazing to me, maybe most of all, is that it is in a perfectly analogous spot to where Mr. Coffee is and <laughs> Spaceball One. Right. What's the matter with this thing? What's all that churning and bubbling? You call that a radar screen? If they were to get coffee there, where would they put it? There are no cup holders on the bridge. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they have like uh, like some uh, some luxury cars. You know, you press a little panel and it and it slides out. Khan would be perfect for cup holders, but uh, toward where the command people sit, I don't think yeah. there's there's much room up there for that. The other uh, the other thing that immediately leapt out at me and made me laugh was uh, they've got you know the captain's chair and Riker's chair, and uh, and then there's the the other chair on the other side, and it just says Troy, and then parenthetically when present. <laughs> it's important to note that it's only hers when she's there. Yeah. It's, it's basically a, a stool. Like, it's a backless <laughs> stool, right? Uh, yeah. I think in this illustration, it's more of like a terracotta uh, pot, but... Oh, sure. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to sit for long periods of time in a seat without a back on it. And unless yeah. you're one of the three in the middle, that's what you get. Yeah. You get a bleacher seat. Looking around this, the last thing I just want to, I want to um draw attention to is the uh is the back door that goes to the observation lounge. Yeah. It says it also goes to the head. I did I I'd never considered that there might be a bathroom directly connected to the bridge, but of course there would be. For as much time that gets spent, you know, portraying Beverly and Troy gossiping. We never get that bathroom sink scene, do we? Mm, yeah, yeah, where, where, you know, everybody's sitting around on the bridge and Troy's like, I knew, uh, I'll be right back. And Beverly's like, yeah, I'll join you. <laughs> I would love to see a really quick uh, re-edit of people emerging from the conference room 
like door, like the doors open, doors close, and you just hear the sound of a distant toilet flushing. <laughs> Fun. Do you yeah. think Data goes to the head, or does he just clean up the nuts and bolts later? Later. I think when you're when you're attempting to be human, I think that's a big, big part of it, right? Mm, like he's yeah. he's eating desserts and ten forward. He's a uh, he's fucking Tasha Yar. <laughs> uh, I think you gotta take a great big dump to get the full human experience, right? Yeah, but that's gonna jam up the pipes if there's all that hardware in there. Oh man, if he's just... <laughs> he needs one of those toilets that you see on infomercials that like flushes a bunch of golf balls. <laughs> he needs the yeah, golf ball toilet to take on it's got, like, what he's putting out. Dispose all in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the handicap toilet at the end in the office. Like he has a special data toilet in every public restroom. <laughs> yeah, it's, men, it's not women, a, and androids. Yeah, it's not a bigger stall. It's just a stronger toilet. Yeah, that's fun. Well, we were deprived of those scenes, Ben. We can only hope that the new Star Trek series will go deep on yeah. future bathroom technology. I want to find out what those three seashells do. <laughs> oh man, is there anything that would could found data more than the seashell code? <laughs> Don't bring your uh, Sherlock pipe into the bathroom, data. Here endeth the liturgy, Adam. And uh, let's uh, let's get on with the show. Peace be with you, Ben. It's uh, season five, episode fourteen, conundrum. The entrepreneur is doing a routine mission. They've picked up something on subspace that makes them think there might be some intelligent life in a system that they have not yet contacted. So they're headed out there to see what the dealio. And they come across this dinky little one-man ship. Well, actually, I guess we should probably talk about this chess match before we talk about the ship, right? Yeah, I thought you were going to skip over it. I was panicking. And so so on their way, uh, Data and Troy engage in a little game of chess. Evidently, Data is not as good at chess as he is at Stratagema. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't He didn't employ a strategy of just trying to prevent Troy from winning. Right. He attempted to win himself, and that was a... You would think that that would be a, a lesson that he took away from Stratagema, but... So... This is... To, this is interesting, right? Like, yeah. Like, computers can beat Kasparov at chess, but in the 24th century, an android can't beat... Deanna Troy at chess. Maybe there's something about three-dimensional chess that makes it uh, makes it more difficult for a computer mind to to win than a human mind or a oh, half-human, half-betazoid mind. That's an interesting piece of headcanon, Adam. But like in that. this depiction, like if you were to pick two more poorly paired people to play three-dimensional chess against each other. It might be Deanna Troy and Data. Who loses to Deanna Troy? You have devised a completely unanticipated response to a classic attack. Yeah. And And she's like there to teach him a little bit of a lesson, right? Data, chess isn't just a game of ploys and gambits. It's a game of intuition. Ben, is this the most absurd example of Deanna Troy writer's room overcompensation because they have now made her smarter than deep blue. <laughs> like, I think, I think we've praised the writers of this show in season five about how they're pulling Deanna Troy out of the pot. They're making her a, a fully shaded character. But now I think they've crossed the line. I think it's okay to have Troy lose at chess to data. Yeah, she doesn't need to also be a chess wizard. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also really strange because he announces that she's going to have him at checkmate in seven moves, but then they just kind of take the game apart. Yeah, what She's is declared up? the winner. Like, it's, don't like you wanna... she, it's like she landed on boardwalk and they just end the game. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, that's over. Yeah, I also like that their bet is that he has to make her a cocktail. Yeah, I do like bets that go like that. Yeah. 
That's a that's a that's the kind of bet I can get behind. Yeah, it's a it's a Sumerian sunset cocktail. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the way it works, I guess, is I mean, we don't see the mixology happen, but it's a lot like drinks that end with lighting the peel and yeah. and inflaming the oils of, of a piece of citrus. But instead he just sort of flicks the rim of the glass and it uh, it sets off sort of a color fireworks show inside the, the drink. It looks great. It's beautiful. And it goes from being a clear drink to a pink drink, which is... Uh, That's your favorite drink, Ben, isn't it? I love a nice pink drink. Yeah. Anybody that comes to our live shows will typically see me drinking something pink. Yep. That's your brand. So so the, the sense that we get from the opening of this is that we're just getting some kind of slice of life's around the ship because the next thing we go to is a uh, lovely young woman in a bathing suit who I guess was was doing some uh, some high diving practice in the holodeck getting getting looked at in six bay by Dr. Crusher. She should She's be friends some... with O'Brien. They're both <laughs> yeah. in the water sports. <laughs> I bet she wears a yellow uniform also. <laughs> oh, she'd be welcome in the presidential suite of the R- Moscow Ritz Carlton. <laughs> Uh, they're working on uh, fixing her shoulder up there's some fun like some fun shock shop talk i should have i should have laid out i or i should have tucked when i was supposed to roll or whatever dr beverly's sort of wrenching on her i feel like for for someone who has torn ligaments like she's getting her to to move her neck to and fro and and rotate her arm like what kind of doctoring is that (laughs) I don't know. I was watching a reality television program recently, and uh, one of the characters had had like a herniated disc in his back, and they actually like took the camera into his doctor appointment where he got an MRI, and the doctor made him do a bunch of like you know point your toe and you know push on the gas kind of mm-hmm. kind of movement, and it like hurt him so much that he vomited. <laughs> Oh, and no. I was like, is this really like how, like they got an MRI. Do they need him to do the thing that's so painful he throws up also? Uh, have you ever been in so much pain that you vomed? Um, no. I used to get I, migraines when I was really young and they would make me vom from pain. But I can't imagine like a, like a skeletal injury that did. That seems like a totally different deal. Yeah, that is, I mean... Like, I could you imagine are... getting in a motorcycle accident and then vomiting from the pain? That's got, That's like double trouble. That's awful. Yeah, yeah, fill that helmet up with chunder. And then <laughs> that's you, no fun. And then you die from drowning. <laughs> <laughs> that's real dark shit. Yeah, that's, that's no good. That's how, that's how rock stars are supposed to go out, not yeah. motorcyclists. Yeah, that's how John Bonham died, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of uh, a lot of rock and rollers have asphyxiated on their own uke. Yeah. Yeah. How did we get well, on that subject? <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we were talking about uh, our our diving girl in Six Bay. Yeah. Well, we cut away from that, and uh, and Riker is walking down the hallway, laying into Ensign Rowe. <laughs> For some procedural flourish that she has changed without asking him. Navigators on this ship have been doing flight handling assessments the same way for years, Ensign. And I found a better way. Things have kind of changed between them in an interesting way. Like, whereas before, Riker would lay into her, like, procedurally in a way that allows no harbor at all. And and in this scene, he's laying into her in a way that sort of allows for some wiggle. Yeah. Because she makes the case for her decision, and Riker's like, well, if you just would have asked me, I might have said yes. And that seems like something that Riker never would have said Yeah, uh, when, they, when they first met. So things seem to be cooling a little bit between them. Right. Like, this is Ensign Rowe punching somebody because he said that the Mobius Silver Surfer was, was <laughs> the worst Silver Surfer kind of right. situation. You know, he's like... He's like, you know, you could you could get a commission like that, but if you if you keep punching guys, it's not going to go well for you in this man's navy. Right, right. He's uh, he's being a little bit of a cool high school counselor. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> with her. Yeah. Like the ch- the chair is definitely turned around in this scene. Yeah, the the metaphorical uh, lunchroom chair is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's sitting Slater style on that shit. This is all the stuff that's that we get to see going on when the entrepreneur uh, encounters a, a one-man ship that is floating in this sector that they've come to explore. And the ship starts scanning them, and they're, like, unable to establish communications. So they're like, why don't we go ahead and throw the shields up? And the scanning gets more and more intense. And then you see this crazy green light start to wash over the ship and it's like individually washing over people including all of the people we've seen in these little vignettes ahead of the of the action data has a little like hiccup in his speech and the the bridge crew you know like they they put that like wide ass lens on the on the camera and go to a handheld shot pushing in on Captain Picard and you can tell that they are very confused about what's going on what happened they use a technique that i think uh we're familiar with both personally and just as the consumers of a lot of media where you know you get a show that is shot very smoothly where that is shot either locked off or stabilized yeah and then in order to underscore a character's uh, confusion or challenge or stress, you go handheld a little bit. Yes. And so what we get is sort of an around the horn. What the hell? Series of cuts where the camera is moving and shaking a little bit because that is how our characters feel. Yeah, they have they have put the steady, steady cam down for this whole sequence and... All of this stuff is handheld and on a, a a wider lens than they normally use, so it has this kind of surreal feeling about it. And yeah, um, as they're kind of panning around the ship, we notice that there is a another commander rank guy hanging out in the seat that Troy is normally in when present. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, they have all lost their memory of who they are and. Uh, where they are, what they're doing. Like, they have lost their identities. Yeah, he's a real, like, Paul Risery type of guy mm. in, in the commander rank. And I'm not going to ring this bell throughout the episode, but, like, this was the moment when I was only listening to the episode and unable to view it when I was grounded as a child. Right. That just threw me completely. Uh-huh. Who is this voice? <laughs> Doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> Who is this guy on the bridge? Yeah, try to imagine uh, not watching this episode and only listening to it. Yeah, I mean... Th- Probably the worst episode to do that for. But who are we? Yeah, what are we doing here? It's really amazing, because it's... I mean, I think that th- this is, like, one of the things that this episode is remarkably good at is using this guy... Uh, very sparingly, like they do, yeah. they do not smash you over the head with that. There is a, an interloper. If this was the first episode of the show you ever watched, you wouldn't. They, you know, they don't point directly at it in a way that you would realize. This show does a great job with this episode in having the restraint of not pushing the camera into the new crewman and then turning up the volume on the score before commercial <laughs> the way right. that they did with the Yulians. Yeah. Like, like they like there's they not let like him... dissonant strings playing every time he he graces the screen. <laughs> they let this guy lay back in the cut, and it's so effective when they do it that way, rather than just beat you over the head with the idea that this guy's an interloper. Right. There's an amount of subtlety that would really confound a radio listener to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. God, I wish everyone could experience this episode for the first time, audio only. So we come back from the title sequence, and they're just kind of standing around puzzled, you know? There's, because they don't know who they are, or, you know, they don't, they don't remember anything about the Federation, they don't remember anything about anything, they're trying to just kind of figure out what the F. Hmm. And one of the interesting upshots of that is that all of their status has been erased, and... 
it is determined that because Worf has a sash, he might be the boss <laughs> of everybody. It's an interesting sort of like post-disaster element of rank stacking. Like, yeah. Like, like if you were to wash up, it's sort of like the lost scenario, right? If you were to wash up on a desert island with a group of people, the first thing that a group of strangers does is sort of establish who the leader is. And that's what the, the senior staff does here. Yeah, and they decide to kill the pig, spill her blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because They yeah, really like, order of the hand this stuff. Right, I, I really like the idea that uh, the way rank works is you go up to four pips, then you get a sash and start over. Yeah. <laughs> so Worf kind of kind of takes the role of captain and everybody else kind of, you know, they're working in good faith to figure out what's going on, but they're concerned. I mean, uh, I'm surprised Worf points to the sash as a reason for a command instead of pointing to his loaf. <laughs> Yeah, get a load of this. He's like, None I of, too n- am decorated on my head. <laughs> Look at these nose ridges. You guys, none of you have that. Yeah, the only Ro one that has a little bit is Ro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody's face gets more weird the higher yeah. in rank they get. <laughs> and they're, they're like concerned that there might be a boarding party, so they don't want to make announcements to the ship that are too... You know, that that reveal too much about the fact that they don't know what's going on. We should be careful what we say. There could be a boarding party somewhere on the ship. Bridge to all personnel. Select a representative from your group to contact the bridge and report on your status. Remain where you are and stay calm. Bridge out. Well, that helps a lot. So they know how to operate the computer. They know how to send a message shipwide. They know yeah. how to tell if... Uh, they're drifting or not in space. Right. Uh, the doctor knows how to fix the swimsuit lady's shoulder. Yeah. Keiko remembers how to make an awful dinner. <laughs> and so, like, the kind of positions that everybody is standing in starts to be treated as potentially information about what role they serve. For example... Data is assumed to be the bartender because he was making Troy a drink, but they're stumped. And the weirdest part of this is that all of the information, all of the parts of the computer that might be able to tell them information about who they are and what they're doing are also messed up. Every part of the computer remains except for biographical information, which is super frustrating for everyone. Yeah. They're kind of getting everything back together bit by bit. You know, they know what they're doing technically. So they they start putting the pieces back together. But the hardest part to get to is identity and mission information. And It's sort of a fun writing exercise, isn't it? Like, yeah. without a character's memory, all you have is their base instinct. So when you're working these characters through a story, I think I think it's got to be a fun exercise to just sort of go, you know, without... Without mission, all you have is instinct. And how do these characters interact when that's all they have going on? Right. And, like, the, you know, like, they, they, that's interesting with every single character. The way, the way they behave, the way they, the way they kind of piece their identities together. I mean, Troy discovers that she can do something that everybody else can't with sensing emotions. And it's perhaps the most interesting description of that sense in her that we've gotten yet. I have a very strong sense of what other people are feeling. We don't get the scene where she interacts with someone else in 10 Forward and is like, are you feeling this? <laughs> like, just sort of comping it off of someone else? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the fun things that uh, that goes down with this is that Ro determines that she is probably in a in a fucking relationship with Commander Riker. I have this funny feeling that maybe I spend most of my off hours here. She, yeah. She's so confident in this that she puts on some uh, some civvies and goes and hangs out in his quarters and waits for him. Part of the triaging of 
what's happened is they just sort of they delegate some tasks. I should say Worf delegates tasks to the crew. They go out, pair off, and sort of do them. And and Riker and Roe get the mission of just sort of going door to door and checking yeah. on people. And and like putting them to bed is the idea. Like yeah. they're, they're just sort of walking down a corridor, checking up on people. They're and like, they're hey, really... do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior? <laughs> I already gave it the office. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, uh, it's sort of a retread of the pre-logo scene where they're walking down a corridor, only this time... They're really enjoying each other's company. They're having yeah. a great time doing this task. Yeah, it's an, and it's a nice idea that they, without preconceived notions about each other, do kind of have compatible characters. Yeah. You know? It's interesting, like, without, without story getting in the way, how that works when it's just instinct. Like, when, right. you, when you reduce a character down to base instinct, you realize their compatibilities in a way that you don't see when... When there's a bunch of filler in the way, day to day, right? That's a fun realization. It sure is. It's it, and it's very astute writing. I think it's it's very fun to think about the writers' room saying, "Okay, like all prior narrative about these characters aside, what are their affinities? Who would like who? You know? Yeah, and it's not about it's not as flimsy as opposites attract either, right? Like it's 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 better than that. Mm-hmm. This is about when they get into a part of the computer that's at least able to tell them who is who on the ship. Commanding Officer Captain Jean Luc Picard. Executive Officer Commander Kieran McDuff. Second Officer Commander William Riker. So they have established that this McDuff guy is a regular member of the ship and the second in command yeah which i guess bumps Riker to third in command which is unfortunate yeah and bumps and bumps data out of out of placing yeah he's off the podium he's off the podium data's off the podium (laughs) Worf has a really great scene in the aftermath of this where he realizes he's been a big dickhead about (laughs) taking command i regret my recent behavior I assumed an attitude of authority that was unwarranted. And Picard, to his credit, is, like, really cool about it. Yeah. Like, hey, man, no one knew anything at the time. It's okay. You had that, you had that big sash on. Anyone could have made that mistake. It seems like a really nice sash. I hope we find out what its deal is someday. One of the other things they find out in this computer sleuthing is they've been at war. Yeah. They've been at war with the Lysians. Fucking hate the Lysians. And they're described as a genocidal race, which uh, which possesses a weapon that is able to wipe the minds of, of the crews of ships that they have, they've actually taken. So they'll, they'll, uh, they'll capture Federation ships through the use of this weapon. And they they sort of posit that this is what happened to them. Yeah. The Federation has been at war with the Lysians for a long time. And the entrepreneur is part of a coordinated, like, multi-pronged D-Day-like offensive <laughs> where they are going to take out the Lysian Central Command. And the entrepreneur is a both the linchpin, but also just one part of a large, you know, like a clockwork of of different military maneuvers. So they determined that like, you know, the, the, this is some pretty important stuff. And if we don't do it, you know, we're going to be leaving a lot of people hanging. So we better, we better, you know, fly with all deliberate speed toward the central command of the Lycian military and take that fucker out. (laughs) And it doesn't take long before, uh, people and I guess specifically one person has a real problem with the idea of flying blind into a mission like this, and that's Deanna Troy. Yeah, she's like, you know, I don't feel good about this mission, and I can't really say why. Shouldn't we try to get verification of our mission? And Ben, this is when the story pivots 
into full Crimson Tide territory. <laughs> Deanna Troy has become the Denzel Washington figure. No orders are valid, Cobb, if they're wrong. Yeah. In the story, she's like, why don't Denzel we Denzel Troy. <laughs> why don't we float the buoy and see if we can get order confirmation on this? Yeah. And Picard sort of grocks this. Very well, float the buoy. Chief of the watch, float the buoy. He uh, turns toward this way of thinking himself. Do they take the time to verify their mission before going into Lysian space and destroying their uh, their home base? Right, and the argument against this is that they have to maintain radio silence. You know, they're, if they're broadcasting on subspace, then their position can be known. And they have a, a big McLaughlin group. Issue one. Without even knowing that that's what it's called to, <laughs> to discuss this, right? Yeah, it's sort of the, uh, the weapon is a perfect foil for their need to, to authenticate the mission. Because <laughs> if they stop to float the buoy, then they leave themselves open to, to having their minds wiped again and their ship taken over. Right. And, uh, you know, like they can't, they can't act on an improperly formatted message. No, no, they can't. They can't. They'd be firing blind, blind and yeah. deaf. What you get you there, know, Ben, is a nuclear holocaust. Right. Calm down, Mr. Hunter. I am calm. You don't appear to be calm. My love is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurses the disease. Much like Crimson Tide, they have kind of, it's kind of a race against the clock. Like, the, you know, the launch order is impending the uh, the russians are fueling their missiles it's lippin's honor stallions all the way down right and and they have to like either verify the 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 message that had the stand down order in it or or launch but you know like the radio's shot they're fucking taking on water there's an akula class submarine <laughs> hunting them down like there, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in this McLaughlin group, you start to see the fracture a bit because there is very clearly a a quorum of people who feel that you know they're gonna they're gonna pursue the mission, but with reservations and right, their instincts are against it. But Macduff and Worf are sort of on on team war. Yeah, and this and, is a feeling that is illustrated later on when they have their own separate McLaughlin group, a McLaughlin <laughs> group inside a McLaughlin group in McDuff's quarters. They have to go deeper. And McDuff talks to Worf. He's like, "Look, man, memory or no, it seems clear that both you and I were born for battle, more so than the others." Rachenko is fueling his burst now. Why do you think he's doing that? Why? You don't put on a condom unless you're gonna fuck. It may come to a point when you and I have to be the ones to hit the button because these these weak bridge crewmen aren't like us. They're gonna the have they're gonna have doubts and they're gonna get us all killed. And Worf sort of grunts his approval at this line of thinking and then leaves. I wondered where Macduff lives. You know? Does he take one of the one of the staterooms that they give to uber clients or or like how does that work out does he take riker's second quarters and get it cleaned up real quick god i don't know there's there's a lot of administrative stuff that we don't see (laughs) when they're trying to figure out their own identities this scene with mcduff and Worf is the moment in the episode where we realize mcduff is a trojan man right like up until now he's been just sort of a a guy that's been around like like your standard issue bridge officer, but now we right. understand that he's he's someone who is manipulating the scene. Yeah, I mean, like they have a confrontation with a small ship that that uh, they have to take out because the ship is firing at them, and and Macduff speaks pretty forcefully in favor of of taking it out because that's what their orders is. But he never, yeah, this, the scene with Worf is where he really tips his hand that yeah. he is, he's prepared to mutiny if the captain doesn't fire the birds. He wants that whistle. 
gotta get that whistle. <laughs> gotta get those those weird plastic cards with seven letters and numbers on them. I know. That, that's Echo, satisfying. Charlie, Charlie. That's satisfying <laughs> crack when you Golf, bust it open. Zulu, Tango. <laughs> so you you mentioned uh, a scene that's pretty important. So as they're as they're getting deeper into Lycian space, they're, they're beginning to come up against Lycian defenses, yes. which are as flimsy as like driving through a wet paper bag. Like <laughs> like there's no defense at all. This is a galaxy class yeah. starship up against like laser guns. This is yeah. they're sort of illustrating in a subtle way like the Star Trek versus Star Wars world and how easily <laughs> trek would destroy wars in any sort of uh face-to-face combat right the yeah the, this is it's like a coast guard cutter not noticing that it's taking out a, a 12-foot laser uh a laser dinghy <laughs> on its way out of port you know yeah like they, they analyze the threat that this ship presents and it's just a joke the destroyer has minimal shields their disruptor capacity appears to be only 2.1 megajoules. They're no match for the Enterprise. And it starts to kind of chip at their buy-in to this reality that they're being presented with. Like, how can we have this decades-long bloody war with this hated, terrifying enemy if our hated, terrifying enemy is throwing this dinky little ship at us? And the counterpoint to that comes from Macduff again. He's like, look... It is not about their laser weapons. It is about this mind control thing. Like when when the weapon against you is is not about how it could destroy physical material, but instead uh, about mental destruction. Like that's the case he keeps making, and it's yeah. a and it's a case that makes sense. The destroyer is hailing us. Open our channel. No, their new weapon. Whatever it is that erased our computers and our memories, maybe this is how they do it. So they, they take this ship out and they keep moving. You know, stick and move, stick and move. Uh, which is also what Roe and Riker have been doing more and more <laughs> throughout the episode. Yeah. There's a fun scene where, where Troy goes to Riker's quarters after hours. The clean they, quarters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Riker Alpha. <laughs> Goes into uh, his his clean condo and is like, you know, I keep having feelings about you. Good feelings. Riker's like, you know, I discovered something in the computer that I have my own battle bridge. (laughs) Yeah, Riker as Studio B. Troy's like, I got a feeling about you and it happens every time I touch your bangs. Get these good feelings. And Riker's like, yeah, I've, I've got some great feelings about you. And... Before they get a chance to talk any further, enter Ro Laren. Yeah, she uh, she she busts through the wall and goes, "Oh yeah!" She's like, "I wasn't interrupting anything, was I?" And sort of chases Troy off. Yeah, this is a real fun she, one. She big dogs Troy. <laughs> she really does. She big dogs. I guess they don't really know what Troy's rank is, right? Because she doesn't wear standard pippage. Yeah, she's got no pips. Yeah, so Troy sort of slinks away, bettered by Roe, yeah. who who just like hops on Riker mm-hmm. into the commercial break. This is a really fun relationship, Ben, and it and this is the point in the episode where I become sad that it will eventually end. Like yeah. it can't go on like this. Mm-hmm. But I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. I am acute as a ball. You will assist us. The doctor has come up with a an idea for how they can get their memories back, but she doesn't have access to the critical medical record part of the ship's logs that would enable her to make a totally safe choice about whether to use it. So Macduff volunteers to be the first one whose memories they try and dig up, and uh, this is a pretty shrewd move on his part because he is the one person who doesn't have any lost memories for them to get at yeah they sort of hook him up to a a weird version of the clip show device right it's a less invasive version clip show device mark ii yeah (laughs) 
And um, uh, he doesn't have a good time in there. He starts flopping around. Yeah. Uh, look, he looks like he's in some amount of pain. Yeah. They 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 barely hang on to him, and they're like, well, that didn't work. That was not a great way for us to try getting our memories back. So they're, they're stumped, and they're like, well, I guess we just have to do this mission, and we're going to have to do it memories or no. So they finally penetrate to the core of Lycian space bin and they and they come upon the home base of the Lycians. Right. And it's just like it's just like a corporate office space station. There's nothing there. Did you recognize this space station, Adam? Yeah, it looked like the thing that the Edo worship, right? It, yeah, it's the same I think it's the same model. Yeah. Yeah. We only barely see it in that Edo episode, but now right, we see it, it fully rendered. It's not a lit up in the Edo episode, but this one, this one's got some nice, some nice lighting on it, and uh, they're they're just betting that anyone who watched the show in season one is not still watching it now. So it's a pretty <laughs> safe bet, I think. Yeah, anybody that watched the Edo episode is probably just watching that on repeat. You know, right? Really wearing out the playhead on their VHS tape of that one. Oh, so sexy. Yeah, they found that tape in the woods. <laughs> but yeah, they they pull up and and park and they're, you know, looking looking through their binoculars out the front windshield at this thing and they're like this has even crappier armaments than that ship we blew up back there. Yeah, and it would only take one torpedo only to destroy it. <laughs> Yeah, so the captain who has had like a couple of chats with Macduff about just how how weird he feels about pursuing this mission without any moral context starts to get starts to get a little mealy mouthed. He's he's like, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if we're here doing the right thing. And and this is when Macduff kinda takes the mask off. I mean, he doesn't reveal himself to be an alien here, but he does like go like like sorry if you're if you're not going to launch the missiles I am. Yeah, he goes full Gene Hackman here. Yeah. He yeah, like, he... he walks up to the top of the horseshoe next to Worf and he's like, "Remove the tactical firing key." Sir, it is my duty to Son, don't talk to me about duty. Open the fucking safe. And at this point we realize just how well armed the bridge crew is. Because <laughs> phasers come out from nowhere. And yeah. they're set to gore, Ben. They are set to naked lunch. <laughs> <laughs> they start hitting him, and like his skin is momentarily rendered translucent, and the like gross loaf that is inside him is revealed. Much in the same way that Picard never reveals how impressed he is at space magic, like <laughs> no one is grossed out by what they see when they shoot McDuff, and I yeah. feel like they should be. I mean, yeah, this this is another opportunity for them to to talk about how bad the smell is that they miss. <laughs> yeah. that, stuff, that stuff looks like looks like it smells real funky. Yeah, they're like they're opening him up like a horse from the Revenant. <laughs> they're totally Revenanting Macduff. Yeah, and I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> yeah, he's he's real scary looking. I I uh, I paused the playback when. And this was happening, and it's like, you ever see the movie They Live? Yeah. He's got a little bit of a They Live thing. Totally. Do you think he's grosser or less gross than Remick when they blow him up in in that season one episode? I mean, I think that because what winds up happening with Remick is real gory, he's less gross, but there's some, I mean... The thing is, you can't blow up Remick on the bridge because they can't possibly clean that up. Like, they've got expensive <laughs> carpet up there. Yeah, I mean... they got to squeegee that guy off of, uh, off of all the panels. Yeah. But, but he does have, like, there's some, like, H.R. Giger kind of, kind of vibes to yeah. him. So it's not, like, it's not like he's not really upsetting. Yeah, he truly is. And they sort of phaser him down to the ground. Yeah, he's one of those he's one of those tough bad guys where you you have to hit him a bunch of times before he he relaxes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They they hit him with the phasers until the stars appear. 
Mm-hmm. So the day is saved. The uh, the entrepreneur has gotten through this conundrum with only having wasted one innocent ship. I guess the Lycians do have a war, and it is with uh, another species. What are they called? The Macduff is a is a Satyran, and the Satyrans, uh, the Satyrans have been at war with the Lycians for a long time, mostly over uh, Creole rice mix. <laughs> Yeah, I went there. (laughs) The studio audience is getting up and walking out at him. You like those Satyrans? (laughs) I sure do. Delicious. You get invited to a dinner party, Satyrans is going to be a big hit. It's the real for sure taste of New Orleans. Well, I hope I never get invited to a dinner party at your house, Adam. (laughs) Yeah, you'll be at war with my side dish. (laughs) <laughs> yeah everybody knows i'm a lycian man well they uh there's a couple of little buttons on the episode where the first is you know raker and picard talking about how narrowly they avoided being some real big assholes in this scene and then the last one is raker accidentally stumbling into a triple date with uh <laughs> deanna and roe yeah, uh, Deanna and Roe are are Eskimo sisters, and they're sort of commiserating in Ten Forward about uh, what Riker's like. Yeah, and Roe's got the the green drink of jealousy, and Deanna has the the magenta drink of self satisfaction and victory. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fun to think of them as friends. They couldn't be more opposite. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's also fun to see Riker lean into the situation. A lesser man would, would see those two up up on the elevated back area of of Ten Forward and just turn heel and walk out the door and uh, handle this, you know, one on one with each of them individually. But he's like, you know, this is this is a little awkward, but uh, you know, I I shit the bed. I've got to sleep in it, so. It's great that they depict sexual regret in a way that is a little bit harmless. Like, Mm -hmm. so often you see depictions of characters get it on and then have the sort of regret afterward that's, like, total and awful and awkward. You know, especially when work relationships are concerned. But it's great to see that, like, there's an oopsie. Mm -hmm. People can laugh about it. People can yeah. continue to work afterwards. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a socially nuclear situation. It's great. And, and Roe even has, like, a bit of a, a, a an SEG on. Like, she's she's kind of she's kind of winking at Riker. Yeah. Like, this is this is maybe the the most levity we've gotten out of this character. It's great. Yeah, it really is. It was a really it, fun button. The the wrong writer would have made her really uh, react to this in a in a very different way. The wrong writer would have had her do the like uh, tongue in the side of the cheek, like <laughs> like fist next to the face look. Uh, are you saying we would have? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> nice restraint, writers' room. Well done. Uh, did you like this one, Adam? One of my favorite episodes, Ben. This is this might be uh, up on the mountain for me. Yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah, and really I'm, enjoyably rewatchable too. Totally, I've seen this episode a lot, and it it grows no less enjoyable as I see it. Mm-hmm. This like everybody is at the height of their abilities acting wise. It's kind of a bottle episode. Like not much yeah. happens outside the ship, but it you know there's and there's only one extra I think, but it's just. It's just good, you know? In that way, though, like, it is not an episode that you would enjoy if you were watching it as one of the first episodes you'd ever seen, because what it's doing is it's paying off your yeah. your familiarity with the crew. And if you aren't really sure who they are, or, like, if you walk into the story the way that the crew does, it's less satisfying. Like, it, 
it's paying off uh, five seasons of character building. Yeah, I think the only the only dark mark I'll give it is that we never find out what happens to that bathing suit lady. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's dead. <laughs> Adam, I've got a uh, I've got an indication that some subspace messages are coming our way. We are not at radio silence. Do you want to float the buoy? Chief of the watch, float the buoy. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Uh, ben, our first priority one message comes from Lieutenant Commander Oliver, USS Caligari. And it is for Commander Graves, USS Ardmore. I imagine that these are real ships, Ben, and real people. Mm. Yeah. Message goes like this. Though I am transferring to a ship in another fleet, know that you've been a great influence to me in my career. I've enjoyed our time together at work and with our various stratagemas, even though I always win, and since this is sent over subspace, it is now true. (laughs) Is that like mailing yourself something so that you have a copyright on it? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Farewell, my friend. If you're ever in need, I'm only a 100 scarf message away. Wow. <laughs> this is a this is a nice goodbye message from one coworker to another. I like that. I hope that this doesn't qualify as his two week notice. Like that would be oh, awkward, right? Yeah. I hope I hope Commander Graves uh, isn't surprised by Lieutenant Commander Oliver's uh, announcement here. Because commander does outrank lieutenant commander, right? It's so true. Could, this is this is somebody talking to their boss, it would seem. Yeah, yeah. I hope this is on the up and up with their HR department. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does this count as notice, or uh, like how? Like what? A, what forms of communication are permitted? I almost read Lieutenant Commander Oliver's ship as the USS Caligula, and I'm very <laughs> glad that I didn't. Yeah, that's uh, that's got very different connotations than, than Caligari. Yeah, yeah, almost as bad as the USS Salo. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, um, hopefully, hopefully we've helped in your uh, transition to a new job, Lieutenant Commander Oliver, uh, and we've softened the blow for Commander Graves. Mm-hmm. We've got a personal message from Krista Shrimp. Holger, and it's for Mike and Mock. You're welcome for assimilating you into the Greatest Gen Collective. Remember, any attempt to stop listening will result in you going straight to hell and or Cal receiving a Sears gift card. (laughs) If you are not enjoying your new station as Greatest Gen Drone, too bad. Enjoyment is irrelevant and resistance is futile. That's a fun one. Yeah. I see what they did there. <laughs> I like that the person the person that this is from self uh, self appellates as shrimp. Yeah. I mean, that's a term of endearment that isn't always taken as endearing. Mm, yeah, exactly. I wonder about the relationship. Mike and Mock seem to have been forced into listening to our show, and while we appreciate every viewer, we don't want uh, resistance is futile to be our message. We hate the Borgs. We sure do. And because we're also enthusiastic... uh, People who are very enthusiastic about consent. Uh, We don't want anyone listening who doesn't want to. Right. That said, if there's some kind of kink play going on um, <laughs> with uh, Kreistar Kolgar, and this is all negotiated prior to uh, the play, uh, have at it, guys. Just make sure you know your safe words. Uh, if you have a workplace uh, conflict or or a, a change in career that you're hoping to announce using our show as its mouthpiece, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where uh, employment announcements cost a mere $100 and a commercial announcement costs $200. It's a great way to support the show that you love. 
It sure is, Adam. Well, uh, all that said, on with the rest of the show. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben, the next part of our show is where I ask you, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Did, Adam. Mine is going to wharf. Just for a little bit of silent acting that Michael Dorn does when the computer is reading out the names and ranks of the command staff, and it washes over Worf, um, mm-hmm. what 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 he has done. Yeah, uh, regret washes that, over him in an awesome wave. Yeah, Mike, Michael Dorn performs that moment beautifully and in a way that gave me a genuine belly laugh. Um, I also want to give him a special citation for the most morally confused wharf eyes we've yet seen in the scene <laughs> when uh, Macduff pulls pulls him aside and suggests that they think about mutinizing if the captain doesn't have the stones to complete the mission. Great eyes. How about yourself, Adam? Do you have a drunk Shimoda? 
I do, but going off of yours a little bit, God, Worf got to do a lot of cool things this episode. He got to sit mm-hmm. in all the chairs he never gets to sit in. <laughs> he got the ready room chair. He got the bridge command chair. It was just neat to see him get to experience all of that. Yeah, and, and fun to see that character put on some status. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, my Shimoda, we, I feel like we give Shimodas to Picard quite a bit, but I have to give him the Shimoda here because much in the same way that Picard uh, gradually increases warp speed on his way to a mission, he does a thing here with the shields that is totally in keeping with that whole sensibility. Like, <laughs> So in the pre-open, they come upon this mystery ship and they're doing the things that they do when they when they come upon a mystery ship. They they don't want to raise shields. They don't want to look like assholes about things by going to red alert. So they very <laughs> gradually increase their level of alert status throughout. And they do that in concert with what the mystery ship is doing. So mystery ship's not doing anything. Entrepreneur's not doing anything. Uh, mystery ship increases the degree to which they're scanning. Uh, entrepreneur does the same. Mystery ship does something vaguely threatening, and then Picard sort of like, with the flip of his hand, goes like, well, I guess we raise the shields or whatever. (laughs) In a very blasé kind of way. Like, in the way that he likes to gradually increase the speed on his way to an emergency. And so for that reason, I'm giving it to Picard, who Mm. who is... uh, as a command figure, just sort of laying back in the cut, not being very threatening in any particular way here. Yeah. Fun. He is the most chill during a time of threat. That he is, Adam. What are we watching next, Ben? The next episode is Season 5, Episode 15, Power Play, inhabited by alien spirits... Data and Troy overthrow the bridge of the Enterprise. You remember this, Adam? Is this where we get deep voice Troy? Ooh. Every time Troy gets taken over, I think it's going to be a deep voice Troy, but I don't think we've gotten that episode yet, have we? I think we might have already had that episode. Oh, man. Wrong? They're all starting to blend together for me now. They really are. <laughs> I like it when Troy gets a deep voice and throws people around. Yeah, well, that was the there was the time that like she broke Worf's wrist, right? That was deep voice Troy episode. Yeah, and and Data was lying to everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, Does she do seem, it again? This seems like a very similarly plotted episode. Yeah. Well, um, we don't have any vetoes, so we are watching it. It's true. Well, that'll be the next one, Adam. Fun. Fun. You know what else is fun is when people bury bad reviews on iTunes by leaving really nice reviews. Yeah, uh, there are there have been a growing number of deep voice reviews to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think I think you need to have at least a few of those so that you you look honest. Right. Exactly. Uh, positive reviews are one of the ways that new viewers find our show on iTunes. Uh, they also find out about us on Reddit and on the Twitters using the hashtag GreatestGen. Yeah, there's a great Facebook group, which is uh, always a lively place for discussion. And uh, all of those online things uh, have uh, known have been known to have interactions from Admin and myself. So uh, we uh, definitely try and keep an eye on those things and, uh, and joke around with everybody. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. We should thank Dark Materia and Adam Ragusia for our music. Thanks, gents. And uh, the great folks at MaximumFun.org for uh, helping us make this show possible. So with that, we will be back at you next time. Another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and another and an episode of The Greatest Generation that may or may not have very deep voices from... A couple of mentally controlled hosts.
I get so scared every time I do one of those throws to the end. Because I never have a plan when I start saying it. <laughs> it if fucking it terrifies you, me. If it makes you feel any better, it always sounds like you don't have a plan, but it's always <laughs> very nice. It's always fun. <laughs> I, should, I should think about coming up with a plan, Adam. I enjoy it every time. It's a lot like the Marin Open. Like, we don't have a plan. We just do it. Yeah, that's true. Fuck it. Let's do it live. (laughs) (laughs) MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.